Well, welcome to A Coach's Perspective. This is your host, Jenny Hopkins, and this show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience with nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs, and mobile and online banking services. You're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. We'll be talking throughout the show about some of our sponsors, including Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Graham Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. So on our last show, it was number 300. We did celebrate a milestone. Thank you for all of the kind compliments and uh, comments and messages received. I do appreciate that. I want to thank Ned Reynolds, Corey Riggs, and Mike McClure. Um, I did a lot of thank yous and um, everybody might be able to relate to this. I might have forgot to thank my husband and my children and how supportive they've been through 300 shows every Wednesday night. So thank you to Scott and Haley Joe and Hayden. If you want to listen to that episode, you can go to acoachesperspective.com. Under previous shows, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, or Helium Satellite Radio. In this episode, I am so happy to have the Cornell head football coach, David Archer, joining us. He's been the head coach since 2013 when he was named the youngest NCAA Division I football coach at the time at 30 years old. He was an assistant coach for six years at Cornell, and then he was a player as well. He earned a degree in economics while he was there, and he has developed quite a program. His energy is contagious. His enthusiasm is contagious. His motivation is contagious. Besides the success on the field, he has also developed 63 All-Ivy selections, two Ivy League Rookies of the Year, four Academic All-Americans, and five FCS All-Americans as head coach. And you'd look at some of the different quotes and different articles, and when you're doing the homework, you see all of the positive comments written about this leader. It is incredible. On the athletic website, they actually describe him as an innovator who has provided steadfast leadership while making education his mission on the field, in the classroom, and in life away from Cornell. Archer brings an infectious passion and detailed and organized plan for the future of the Big Red football program. And he definitely shows that. So we're going to pick his brain tonight, get some insights. Please enjoy this interview with Coach David Archer, Cornell's head football coach. Welcome back to the show, A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. They're owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies, professional dietitians, they all agree that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. They're a proud sponsor of A Coach's Perspective. We also want to thank Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. We will continue our conversation with Coach David Archer, the Cornell head football coach. Well, I want to welcome Coach David Archer, Cornell University's head football coach. And I mean, Coach, this is you're at the beginning of the season. This is one of the busiest times of the year. And so I just want to say how happy we are to have you on the show, explore your perspective um, and be able to take the time to, to do this with us. No, I'm happy to do it. And I like I actually like that it's football season uh, and you have a football coach on it. And so <laughs> I think, uh, 
let's get everybody geared up for for the kickoff. You know, so I'm I'm really happy and honored to be here. Well, I, I'm excited to have you. I'm a big football fan, as a lot of my listeners know. So this is this is a joy for me as well. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit, uh, if we can, let let our listeners get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you were a successful three sport athlete growing up. Uh, you you played football, basketball, lacrosse. Um, you know, you you played football at Cornell, where you are coaching right now. You were an assistant coach there for six years. Um, so how how did your experience in athletics? Um, you know, maneuver you into a career in coaching? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a, a really great question. Like, there's not only like a love of sports, right? Uh, playing multiple sports in high school. I love uh, competing. I love the different sports. I remember, I think when I was little, my mom and dad got me a shirt. It was like, um, I love watching the seasons change or something like that. And it was a reference of like, you know, autumn, winter, but it was like all the different like sports equipment that you use right. in those seasons. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> I think that was like the first part of it. And then, you know, I, I don't, nothing like spoke to me in terms of like, what do I want to do? You know? So like a lot of people at Cornell go into finance or they go into you know law school or, or, or business school or consulting, you know, that, that didn't really speak to me. I obviously saw my dad he was a teacher and a coach and, and the mayor of our town and so I was always in leadership roles and I liked sports and I liked helping people so I joined Teach for America upon graduation and I taught fourth and eighth grade respectively in uh, in inner city Newark New Jersey and I liked the educating piece the teaching the helping piece but not necessarily with writing as the as the mode to do it and so it was there that I volunteered at Fairleigh Dickinson University, my second year doing TFA. I volunteered with their football program, Division Three. really liked it, and then said, okay, well, I'm 20-something. Now's the time to try coaching, mm-hmm. and and was lucky. I made a call to my, my head coach at Cornell, Jim Knowles, who I had played one year for, and he gave me an, an incredible opportunity to come back and be an assistant at a really young age. Um, and really learn from him. He's now the defense coordinator at Ohio State. So he's a, a really uh, fabulous coach. But so I think it was like one of those where it was like, I didn't necessarily like have this career that spoke to me. And I really liked sports and I liked the education piece. So I kind of really kind of like stumbled into it that way. Of course, seeing my dad, having him as a role model, that it kind of stumbled that way. Well, and, and I, you know, speaking of your dad, Dave Archer Sr., we want to give him a, a shout out and thank him for connecting us because um, when I, you know, I, he's, I, he was your agent for me. I, I had to go through him to get to you and I, I want to thank him and I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. Um, he does How many a great times job. you have somebody on your show, they're the second one, like this is, I'm the second coach Archer. Right. On your show, right? <laughs> I, I mean, know, how unique right. is that, right? My yeah. dad was my agent my whole life. He used to stand. So he was a teacher at the school, at our high school. And uh, back in the day, um, you would get these like recruiting questionnaires in the mail. Beautiful. Because that was like the only way they could communicate with recruits. And he would stand like at the at the, the stairway in the school. And he would be holding like that day's mail from whoever it was, Syracuse, Boston College, Harvard, Cornell, whatever. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, getting to me has gone through my dad. 
in parts of my life on and off. So no, no surprise. So. Right. Yes. Well, and he is uh, the executive director and founder of the National High School Basketball Coaches Association. He's also on the National Association of Basketball Coaches. And like you said, he was mayor of Indicott, New York. I mean, a coach of a town. So um, I would just want to tell him thank you for for connecting us and, and making this happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, remarkable, remarkable guy uh, holding many, many different leadership roles and somebody who has not let their passion for basketball ever die out and mm-hmm. doing what he can to affect positive growth, change, continuation, whatever the topic of the game, you know, for the game of basketball. So a little a little bit of uh, a pivot. I want to talk a little bit about this cheesy question alert. Um, I always like to talk to coaches a little bit about their philosophy and their style of coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could just give us kind of a snapshot of, you know, what is your vision as, as, a, as a head coach for, at Cornell University? Uh, it's such a multi-layer dynamic question that you're constantly <laughs> trying to like boil down. I think if I had to say like one word, it would be, positivity you know i think it like that would kind of be the the bigger picture you're talking about right it's not like we run the ball and we play zone instead of man you're talking about you know my coaching philosophy i think in general i tend to be a positive person and i never really felt like i responded well to the coaches that you know coached hard or coached with negativity or, or or instilled fear you know and so I think that w- that would be it. And I think that I'd like to think I am inspirational and I'd like to think that I'm a connector, you know, that I'm able to connect with people. But those are areas, you know, I've tried to grow in uh, throughout, you know, my, my career. But I think that would that's the flavor of it for sure. It is amazing how past coaches that we've had and their styles, how we take from some of them, some things that we like, some things that we didn't like. And you kind of shape your own philosophy. And and I think when, you know, when you say a lot of times, you know, there are coaches that coach hard and they they are tough on you. Um, wouldn't you say that's overwhelming majority of football coaches that your your philosophy is pretty rare to be that um, to be positive? I, I, I mean that in a, a way that I hope is not insulting to any, you know, football coaches. But, you know, it's a tough sport. I mean, you it's competitive. You got to it's a physical and you've got to hold them accountable. So for you to find a way to do that, hold them accountable and still be positive, I think is rare. And I think it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where it gets really um, interesting. You know, uh, one of the coaches I learned from here, Pete Noyes, he had a, a, a saying, he was like, you just have to be positive in your teaching and let natural eruptions occur. And maybe I'm just more patient than everybody else. And, mm-hmm. and so I don't naturally erupt as much. And maybe Maybe the guys we're referencing, they they think they are positive, but they just kind of naturally they're up faster. But but it's interesting that concept of holding them accountable. Is it that, or are you trying to help them grow into the person that they're supposed to grow into? And so it's really it's really a tricky concept, right? Is it is it one team and you have to conform to the team, or is it individuals that you inspire to be their best that collectively play together. Yeah. Right. And I didn't start to think about this stuff until a couple of years ago, you know, in terms of the energy behind it and what, what energy is being brought. And I think that that is a realm that people have tapped into 
and talked about, but I'm not so sure it's made its way to sports yet. Right. Well, and it's uh, it's got to be, you know, speaking of energy, it's got to be um, easy for you to bring the energy because, um, you know, you are invested at Cornell University. I mean, as a as a player, an assistant, now head coach, um, what is it that you love about what are the rewards for working at Cornell? It's the product that you are bringing to recruits, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have a world renowned research institution whose founding mission was I want to found a place of study where any person can find instruction in any study. That's 1865, Ezra Cornell. You want to talk about inclusivity? I mean, good Lord, right? In 1865, rich, white males, that's who went to college. That's it, right? And and Ezra Cornell was a farmer. And Cornell University is his his farmland. And he strikes out with this mission, right? And it's like, (laughs) I joke around, it's like, that's why we have all these colleges, because he didn't say no. Architecture, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, hotel, sure. Yeah, and also we have all these, you know, the depth and the breadth of what we offer. But at that heart of that, you know, a really uh, unique founding mission that you go out and you could say that to somebody, you say, hey, we're in the Ivy League, and they instantly think elitism. Not for me, right? Like, oh, that's for rich people. It's like, no, this is for anybody who wants to be great at something. And the only thing we change in recruiting is you want to be great at something academic and football. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that is 100 percent, you know, without question, the most rewarding part of this job. And then being able to bring them here and help them navigate it. And you see the kid you recruited at 18 and the and the, the man that graduates at 22 and, and what they go, they go on to do, you know. So it's that, it's that same thought of like, oh, I'm an educator. I'm just not teaching writing. I'm an educator. I'm just using football. Yes. Yes. And I love that mindset. I love that mindset that um, you're, you're able to, you're a teacher still, um, not just a football coach. And and I love that. That is yeah. wonderful. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break and and then we'll continue to, to pick the brain of Coach Archer. And I want to thank you again for being with us. And I want to thank Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. So we'll take a, a quick break and we'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to the show, A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. They're owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies, professional dietitians, they all agree that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. They're a proud sponsor of a coach's perspective. We also want to thank Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. We will continue our conversation with coach David Archer, the Cornell head football coach. Well, we're back with Coach David Archer, the Cornell University head football coach. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the rewards of being um, the Cornell coach. What Are there any challenges for working with your alma mater? Because, you know, we we all love our home bases, but, but what are some of the challenges of working for your alma mater? You have to do like a little bit more explaining in the recruiting process mm-hmm. because recruiting Ivy, the Ivy League recruitment process is different uh, than most others because we're a non-scholarship league, right? And so everyone here is on need-based financial aid and same at any other Ivy League school, Princeton, Penn, Yale, whatever. Um, and so there's there's a little bit more explaining that way. People always say, oh, it's, it's got to be tough with the academic standards. 
It is, but at the same time, it cuts your pool really fast, right? You're looking at a certain uh, rigor on a transcript. You're looking at certain coursework. You're looking at certain grades. Um, uh, so just different type of work that way um, can can be a little bit challenging to, you know, re-explain that every year. And um, some might think it's a challenge, but I like it, like, the Ivy League protects the student athlete. So, yeah, like if there's a class conflict here, there's no conflict. You're going to class. You know, there's no like, you know, and and, and our guys aren't treated any different than any of the other students. They have to go earn their grades like any other student here. Are there some days that I wish we had like priority scheduling or, you know, whatever for classes? Sure. But then when I really sit back and think about it, I'm like, no, like the Ivy League has it right. Like they have it right. The Ivy League. Uh, double down on who you are, the student athlete, you can be great at all of it. When we recruit, we say we're like that middle of the Venn diagram where the people that want to be high level, highest level academics and the people want the highest level, you know, athletics. Yeah. The, the Ivy League football teams can't compete in the national playoff. And that slows down a little bit of the uh, appreciation for the level of play in this league. But you're talking about a league who I think it was two years ago had more uh, alumni in the NFL than any other FCS conference. So you really get to play an incredibly high level of football and get a degree that, you know, speaks for itself. And that's way, wor- you know, way worth putting up with the challenges. Right. Cause you, you've been in the, you've been in the classroom, you sat in their seat. Um, you know um, what it's like to be a student there as well. And that that's gotta be a huge advantage for you when you're recruiting. It, in recruiting, yeah, but actually more like this time of year when I'm talking to the current freshman yeah, and saying, like, I know how you feel, overwhelmed beyond belief. Like, you probably have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, do you really belong? Yes, you do. You know, so just to be able to have those type of conversations. You know, today's the first day of class, so I'm, going, I'm literally, <laughs> we text all the questions, like, how was your first day of school? You know, like, just we want them to know that, you know, we're here for them, and it's it's going to challenge them. Football's going to challenge them. Academics are going to challenge them. But that's the whole point. Well, when I when I talk to college coaches, well, one of the things I always like to ask is is about obviously you're looking at academic ability, you're looking at football skills when you recruit. What are some of the intangibles, though? Um, you know that you look for in potential student athletes. What are some of those characteristics that that you love to see in your student athletes? So I took an executive coaching class uh, this year, and it's really transformed how I'm trying to lead and grow as a leader. And so um, a hallmark of executive coaching is asking powerful questions. And so I sat down and I asked myself, we want to recruit kids of high character. What does that mean? And I couldn't answer it. So then I went to the staff and I said, well, we want to, you know, make sure the character checks out. I said, what does that mean? What is it we're looking for? And how do we do it? How do we look for it? And so we had a really powerful brainstorming session and, and, and guys were giving great answers and different things of what looking for and how to look for it and really kind of boiled it down. I said, all these are great. I said, well, let's boil it down to two things that I think can succeed here. Number one, are you resilient? And number two, are you coachable? Hmm. Those are the characteristics of the kids that have thrived at Cornell because everyone here is a superstar from where they're coming from. Right. And so are you resilient enough to fail? Mm -hmm. You know, you have that growth mindset where it's like, 
you know, I saw a, a podcast or an interview with Kobe Bryant before, but you know, before he passed, where he he's like, you know, failure is a figment of your imagination. Like you're gonna wake up on Monday and you're gonna give it your everything. And if you fail, okay, great. I'm gonna wake up on Tuesday. Do you have that type of resiliency? And then number two, are you coachable? Are you willing to ask the professor for help? Are you willing to ask the coach for help? Are you willing to ask the TA for help? Are you willing to ask? And so I think those two things are are the qualities we look for most. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, resiliency is something they're going to have on a daily basis, whether in the classroom or on the football field. Um, and then being coachable is is how you build your resiliency. <laughs> that's, a, that's your pathway. That's right. that's uh, right. So that's that is fantastic. And and I think if you can look for some of those things and then um, and be able um, to see them demonstrate those when they're early years, um, it's going to help them just be better pieces of the puzzle. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, that's probably one of the hardest jobs that you have is, is what you said earlier is they come in as they're all superstars and then you've got to, you've got to sell them on the roles for your team and your objectives and your program and, and, and sell them on, you may not be a superstar, but we value you. Um, and this is your role. And, and that's, uh, that's the salesmanship, um, that I think is, is probably challenging, but it sounds like if you're looking for kids like this is very doable. Well, here's like here's a great technique. Like, do they play another sport, right? So, a lot of a lot of coaches. I think Urban Meyer made it famous when he talked about he looks for like three sport athletes and and this and that. And so then, if you dig deeper to say like, do they play another sport and they're the role player? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if they play another sport and they're the star at each one, well, then let's hope they're the star for your team. Right. But if they play another sport and they're the role player, then you're going to see what type of teammate they are. Yeah, I like that. That's a so, great meter. Yeah. Good meter, good meter, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that you also look for the same intangibles in your assistant coaching staff. You know, you when you were hired, you talked about when you build your staff, you want educators, you want people to have that educator mindset that you just referenced earlier. Um, what you know is is there other intangibles that you look for when you hire your assistant coaches? Yeah, yeah. So I want them to be teachers, I want them to be mentors, and I want them to be relentless recruiters. Mm-hmm. And so those are those are three personality skill sets they have to have a baseline knowledge of the game like there has to have that prerequisite there has to be a prerequisite to 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 love you know what they do with coaching and so each of them like they're not all they're all unique humans and so you might hire somebody who this guy was a great teacher but we got to really school him up on how to recruit or Somebody might come in with a, a knowledge level of the game that's like, whoa, this is off the charts. And they might be a really good recruiter, but maybe they're not really skilled as a teacher. And so you're you're trying to balance the big picture of your class. Okay, sorry, the big picture of your staff with the complementary skill sets. And so people might think, okay, you just want one that does all three. It's like, well, no, these are, those are three of the skills. Right. But I might hire somebody who's like a really poor teacher. You know, but they're super knowledgeable and I can help them become a better teacher type of thing. So um, it's funny when I, 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 I slipped and said the word class, it's like, that's what, you know, admissions is. They, they're looking at the holistic class. They don't want like a jack of all trades. They're good at a lot of things. They want somebody who's outstanding at one thing. Right. And so while I have those qualities that I want, you're looking for somebody that, that can really move the needle in one of those. Yeah. 
That's great. That is great. All right. Well, we're going to take our next break, Coach Archer, and I want you to stick around with us for our, our final segment. Uh, we're enjoying picking your brain and getting your, your again, your perspective. So we'll be back here with Coach David Archer, the Cornell University head football coach. And I want to thank Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment, along with Greg and Melinda Burnett, as they support local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Well, welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. They know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know service and how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They'll take care of you. Give them a call at 417-326-7671. And we also want to thank West Logging for sponsoring this segment. Westlogging.com. Contact Danny West. He will treat your land like his own. And thank you also to Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance for his support of this segment. We're back with our conversation with Coach David Archer, Cornell University head football coach. Well, we are back with Coach David Archer, the Cornell University head football coach. And, you know, Coach, I, I love the way that you describe how you want your staff, how you want your players, you know, and, and what you're you're putting this holistic program together. Um, and you want this program of positivity. Um, and I think you've demonstrated that even off the field as well. So, you, you know, you are... Um, you were recently recognized the Allstate AFCA Good Works team recognized you um, for a lot of your efforts. Congratulations, by the way, on that award. Thank you. You, you you've co-founded the um, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Athletic Committee um, at Cornell. You drove the, the creation of the Campus Partners Creating Pathways luncheons. Um, what a what a tremendous uh, initiative that is. And you're encouraging human resource leaders also to make sure you're considering that holistic view. Um, you know, you also have, you know, started the Huddle Together for Mental Health initiative. And so, um, you you know, I, I think that it's pretty incredible, all of the different things that you are involved in. Um, but you're not just talking the talk with your players. And that's the most impressive part is you're walking the walk. You're saying, OK, we need to to not just talk about this in our locker room. We need to get out there in the community and let this ripple. So con- congratulations on all of those initiatives. And thank you for doing that. I know your athletes um, have to be appreciative of those. Um, but tell us, first of all, tell us a little bit about that award and and how that felt to be able to be recognized uh, for some of these initiatives. Well, I, I was really surprised that my dad emailed it to me. And I was like, wow, like, no, is this right? You know, because I know uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, uh, to be nominated nationally like that is, uh, it was really an honor and it was un- unexpected. So that was really cool. Um and to be able to kind of give a platform to some of the things I try to give a platform to made it even, even better. Uh, and so um, that was, that was cool. It is really cool. And and I, I think that um, one of the things that, that you were quoted to say about, you were talking about some of the skills um, that you like, like the resiliency, like the coachability you were talking about. But one thing stood out to me, you said you want, you want to have your players be able to work and relate to people that they have the same perspective and you want your players to be able to work and relate to people that have different perspectives. Talk about, you know, a life lesson right there. Wouldn't that be a beautiful world if we could do that? I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's just critical. Um, 
And a lot of it comes down to really active listening. And so part of the Huddle Together Mental Health Initiative, we brought in uh, folks on campus called EARS. And it's a it's a place that that will just listen. And some sometimes that's all somebody needs, right? It's just a, a an ear to to be able to 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 talk things through and you get something off your chest, you feel a lot better. And so that's kind of like a baseline of, of what you might need mental health-wise. But their training specifically is in active listening. And a lot of the training in my executive coaching class is about they call it be a level three listener. And if you just can get to that. When you're really listening when somebody's talking, you have a real chance for some, I hate to use the word civil discourse, I think it's overused, but you have a chance for that. And that's where real growth and commonality can find each other and, and, and find itself. Because there's no matter what people disagree on in the large scale of it, we're a lot more similar than different. And so I think that um, that skill is, is something huge. And, and to be able to bring that to you, have your team see those initiatives and be able to, you know, know that there are resources out there. I mean, you know, how do you encourage your team um, to not just take care of their physical skills and their sports specific skills, but also their their mental skills as well? I think you have to model it. I think you have to model it. And so I tell them that have I've struggled with my mental health and I have a therapist and I take coaching, you know, classes and I have a coach. And I think just by trying to end the stigma and stop the silence and all those type of things, you modeling that and then doing it, like taking care of yourself. Um, I think it's big, you know, for this age range, you know, my four-year-old son, you know, can't see me do those things. Right. But for a, a college uh, student athlete, I think it's really important. And then when they see, you know, those people like where it's like, I know, Julie Edwards from the Squirtin Center, who, you know, you know, like to be able to, um, that that's really what the creative pathways is. Like, you know, Victor Younger and, and, and folks from campus come and, and get in front of our, our players to say, like, we care about you. We have resources here. We can, whether it's identity issues, academic issues, whatever it is. And so um, just just putting that out there, I think, is is a big first step. And, and it's kind of tough. I mean, the sport of football is is tough. I mean, it, you're not supposed to show any weakness. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be able to handle everything. And then you've got, you know, college students. It's, it's hard to be able to balance that and to be able to help your athletes balance that. Because, you know, on game day, you're telling them to, you know, to, to get after it, to be strong. You know, we're counting on you. Um, but then you also want to take care of their mental health. So it, it is a balance. And I think a lot of that comes from what you just said and that's the stigma that's out there that we right. need to get rid of because it is right. a strength to ask for help it's a total strength to ask for help and let's unpack what being tough on the football field means. <laughs> let's unpack that for a second right so being tough on the football field means that you need to be able to show up and do what's being asked of you you need to be able to have the courage and have the strength to put your body in harm's way right it's a collision sport you could also make the case that showing up in a space as the authentic real you takes more courage than putting your body in harm's way in a football game. And both of them, you have to be tough, right? And so while if you're a big football player or whatever body type or body size you have or however you identify, whatever gender you identify with, right, showing that courage 
to be yourself, showing that courage to do what it is you are, you know, love to do. And our guys play football, right? It's really the same. Ours happens to be skills that we teach. They're, they're violent skills. They're, you're striking another person. You're destroying a block. You're, you're doing the, Those are violent skills. There's no question. But the courage, you know, that it takes, I mean, that's transferable. Mm-hmm. And so and with release. that, with that. <laughs> and the release, that, that that's almost therapeutic sometimes for, for them. 100%. And so I think that getting them to understand that, you know, they are, you're a human and you have human emotion and those emotions are supposed to all be there. It's the spectrum of emotions you're supposed to be able to feel. Doesn't mean you can, you strike another human any less hard on Friday night or Saturday. They're, they're two different worlds. They're two right. different things. Your ability to strike, throw, tackle, whatever is hard, physical, explosive. And the fact that you have feelings, those are mutually exclusive skills. I like that. Well, so you said earlier, you, you model to your athletes taking care of yourself. So what are some of the techniques that you use to maintain balance? I mean, you have a family, you have a wife, you have a son, you know, you have this very important um, job. Not only are you the football coach, but you're one of the ambassadors of Cornell University. I'm sure you're pulled in a lot of different directions. So how, how do you take a step back and maintain your balance? Yeah, no, it's really hard. So I've had a therapist before. I currently don't see one, um, but Therapy is something I've done regularly over the last 10 or 12 years. So just being able to say that, you know, I, I even said at one time to one of my, one of my nieces and she was like, you have a therapist. You know what I mean? And I was like, yep. And it's like, well, actually, so do I, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. uh, you know, so it's like, okay, just being able to, uh, I don't care if it was one of my nieces or somebody, you know, it's, it's somebody, you know, just to normalize that. Like I, oh, the football coach has a therapist, right? But I also have, uh, I've used three different life coaches uh, in the last decade, um, I try to do something physical each day, the, the sweat and the mental release of going for a jog or a run, or I really enjoy meditation. My latest, uh, my latest coach I've been working with, um, he's the fear coach out of England. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, he's actually on campus right now meeting with the, with the team and a lot of the players. And, um, he's got me into the uh, meditating in graveyards to where, (laughs) Your um, my goodness! Say there. that one more time in yeah, case people yeah, didn't yeah. catch that. Meditating, yeah, 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 yeah. This this guy, this guy's on the cutting edge. Just Drew Broughton. This guy's on the cutting edge um, of emotional intelligence and how it affects high performance. And so I took his boot camp this summer, and um, this this graveyard meditation where you sit there and you're like, okay, it is inevitable that this is how it ends for me. Cremation graveyard, you get my concept. Right. It's inevitable this happens. So today in this moment, do I have the courage to show up as the real me? Or am I living somebody else's life? Or am I consumed with what other people are saying about me? Or am I consumed with a toxic, toxic shame that's in my ego? Or am I because this is what it's going to be like someday. And am I going to waste a day not being me? Right. So some of those techniques are, are some of the things I'm, I'm on. That's powerful reflection. It really is. Uh, that's It's impressive to be that reflective. It's an everyday work. It's like every 24 hours, you got to right. do it. It resets. Yeah. 
So, okay, well, let's let's talk. You know, you talked about resilience earlier with your players. Let's talk about your resilience. Um, you know, coaches are, I mean, obviously you're a very knowledgeable coach. You're very inspiring. You are a connector. I mean, the goals that you have um, have been backed up with what, you know, your players have said. I did extensive homework on this interview and you are very well respected and well loved on that campus. And, um, you know, but there are people, no matter how wonderful and great you are, there are going to be people that decide to criticize you, whether it's on social media or whether it's, you know, it, who knows. Um, and those people sometimes, you know, they they see a snapshot um, and they want to criticize or maybe that's just the way they, you know, they live. I don't, I don't want to focus on them. But how do you handle criticism? If you've got young coaches listening to this right now that yeah. struggle with that, yeah. um, how can you help them handle criticism? Uh it, I mean, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. I, you know, um, you know, they say, oh, we'll get thick skin, you know, or don't read it or, you know, whatever it is, you know. Um, but I'm a, I'm a highly sensitive guy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And um, so it hurts. It's hurt less, you know, as time goes on, the more you're in a leadership role, it is inevitable, you know. Um, one of my life coaches, uh, Tim Kramer, he, he passed away. Uh, but but he used to say to me, you know, like everyone's the protagonist of their own story. Mm-hmm. Right. And and they might need an antagonist and they decide the role that you play in their story, not you. Right. And so the criticism you face, whether it's I love it, was, it was justified criticism. It's like whatever. You know what I mean? Like the the criticism you face, you really don't have any control over that. You know, people are going to say what they're going to say. They're going to think what they're going to think. Right, people look up my win loss record. Oh, he's a, he, he's a great guy, but my God, he can't win, right? Or my come on, but whatever it is, right? But they don't know. They're not here every day. They don't see the information I see. They don't right. It's it's not in their 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 purview. They can assign the role they want me in their life, and that's their choice and that's their decision. And I have no control over that. And so, any time I spend thinking about that. All I'm doing is cluttering my own mind. And often, not saying that there can't be like pure venom. I mean, I've had people criticize my weight, my, well, what are you doing? You don't even matter, right? Not that there can't be a lot of venom, but oftentimes, like one or two of those comments will just land in your ego and it just grows. I think I, I heard something the other day. It's like, we have 60... Let me see how I look this up. You got to say it was talking about thoughts. Oh yeah, here we go. Sixty-eight thousand thoughts a day, and ninety-eight percent of them we had yesterday. So if you just let that thing spin, you are just in this rut. You're in this like echo chamber, right? And so my my dad, you know, it was it was so many benefits of having a coach. If you're you know as a dad, if you're an athlete because he teaches you the other side of it. You know what I mean? You have like so many tips and tricks that the other kids don't. Cause he's got, you know, and I'm not talking about, I was a terrible basketball player. So I'm not talking about where my elbow goes on a free throw. <laughs> so like he, he was ahead of his time t- talking to me about visualization. Yes. About your mind not knowing it's my favorite, right? Right. Your mind not knowing the difference between something you make up and reality. He gave me a book, the inner game of tennis when I was like seventh grade. Right. And it talks about self one, your ego, your thinking self and self two, that like inner child, authentic play type self. And if you can quiet self one and let self two play, he had this little cassette he would give me. And I can still like, 
picture sitting on the porch listening to it like visualizing myself play linebacker you know what i mean so it's like all of the all the what that was really doing was quieting self one so like if you quiet the 98 percent of the sixty-eight thousand thoughts that you're replaying from yesterday and give yourself that time and space to free create and be joyful and free and fun and creative whoa whoa like now <laughs> you're getting somewhere so i think that if I was a if I was mentoring a young coach who's stepping into the public eye, and it doesn't matter what level, it could probably be it's probably more brutal at the high school level. The smaller the town, the the more brutal the criticism. I would I would say just work on yourself. Do something that that allows yourself to grow because that's the only thing you're ever going to be able to control. Right, that's great advice. It really is. I mean, controllables is what we preach to our players and our athletes constantly. Uh, what What are your controllables? And and so to be able to take that that advice to yourself is is really important as well. Totally. I mean, you, you're no doubt very competitive too. And so to take to go off of the criticism part, um, there are times where you know you you do make mistakes. Um, you know, your players uh, will make mistakes. Um, there is this like. I don't want to use the word epidemic, but there is this this overwhelmingly recurrence of athletes um, using mistakes and fearing failure because um, they look at mistakes as a reflection on them as a human being instead of just isolating it as a mistake and learning from it and moving on. So, so why do you think that is becoming such a part of um, of this generation? And what can we do to help them? What can you do to help your players realize how important failure is on the way to success? Get back to the game. Mm-hmm. Get back to the process. If, if I brought a professor, I could bring a professor from this school on your show. And they'd say, you know, I don't know if it's as fun being a professor anymore because all the student cares about is the grade. What happened to the learning? Right. What happened to the inquisitivity? What happened to, I don't know if that's a word, what happened to the question, what happened, right? And I'd say the same thing, like, what, what on earth happened to playing the game? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's not just, you went to lose this, you scored, blah, 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 how many points did you have? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what, what happened to fun? What happened to teamwork? What happened to resiliency? What happened to all that? Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's like, because it's all results and because it's fab like social media you can fabricate your own picture for crying out loud right so it's like because everything is like fabricated that way the result and how it looks and how it's perceived that's like what they grow up with you know we're trying to work on here about like surrendering to the result and and, and, uh one of my coaches says living in living on what they call the third side of the coin like, you know, so he comes in front of the room. He's like, how, how many sides does the coin have? And it's the Ivy League now because like two, you know. And uh, he's like, actually, there's a third side. It's really small. But that's the edge. And can we live there? And so I, the mental image I had is winnings on one side of the coin, losing on the other side of the coin. Can you be on the edge? Because that's where you're going to have to be the next day anyway. Win, lose, whatever it is. The next day, you got to be on the edge again. And so uh, I think that's what's lost, you know. And failure is just like, it's just... I used to like say to my dad, like, I think I think society values winning the right way, of course, number one. And then number two is like winning, even if you had to cheat. Right. And then number three, losing. You know what I mean? It's like, what? You know, so 
I think I think it's the process that's lost, the journey that's lost. Like that, yes, I think so because it, we we make it so complicated. We make it very complicated when it could be just that simple. Let's look at the process um, and 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 being able, you know, to be judged by mistakes. It's never their first mistake, right? It's never their last mistake. So a lot of times I, you know, I feel like athletes are, you know, they, they're judged sometimes by how they react to those mistakes. And if that, you know, can motivate them to, to process it, like you, you know, like you're saying and looking at it as a process instead of a reflection on them as a human, um, I think that could, that could help. That could help. You've got you to watch this clip of Kobe Bryant. It is insane. Yeah. It's Kobe Bryant. And he's like, okay, so you missed the game winning shot. Then what? You embarrassed? You ever been embarrassed before? <laughs> oh, what, did, you, did you let your teammates down? What, you never let them down before? You weren't ever like late to practice or anything? Or like, like, well, are people going to be upset with you? Like nobody's ever been mad at you before? Right. It is. It, I mean, it's, it's Kobe Bryant. Right. Right. That's fantastic. Well, I, I do um, appreciate that that angle that you take with them. And I think that's uh, that's something if they can get um, assistance of dealing with some of those things from their head coach, I think that can be empowering to them. Um, well, we're it, on a journey with it here. You know, I mean, we're. We're not uh, we're not all the way there. You never will be. But we're we're uh, we're trying to go in the right direction. That is so true. That is so true. So tell me, I want to ask you a, a quick question about. Um, I'm going to shift a little bit. Uh, game day, game oh. day. Um, I, there is. I, I love going to football games. There's an atmosphere. There's um, there's a feeling. There's a culture or whatever you want to. However you want to label it, label it. But but what tell me about game days for you um, and tell me what it is that on game days that uh, um, you've done all the practice, you've done all the preparation. I mean, it is just execution and go time. How are you on game days? Um, how are you feeling? And, and what are some of the things that you do to get ready for the competition? You know, a lot of times I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid of the result. You know, we I call my wife and joke around. I'm like, hey, somebody just told me, remember, it's just a game again, you know. It's like, well, it's kind of not to us, you know? And so <laughs> it's that edge, right? Like how can you deal with something that's so important? How can you let go of that mm-hmm. importance? Because the less important you, you have it in that moment, the freer you will be, the better you will be. So on game day, man, I haven't been how I wanted to be. And so that's why I did a lot of work this offseason to try to be different this game day, these these, these games. Because you, you're constantly playing the what is it is, what is it that, what is that, that. And you're just, and you're just so in your head. And you say, I don't want to do that. I just want, I want to be in my heart. I want to feel it. I want to feel the games this year. Yeah. Um, and so uh, have me back on in the offseason. Ask me how the game <laughs> You know, what, what, what have they been? You know, like. I get up, I go to breakfast, you know, we can come, do a march up, meet the officials, take a shower, get into the game day gear. So how do you go to the team set coach? La, 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 check the wind. We want to defer, but we'll, you know, all of those things. But what about that? Like just trying to just be in that moment of, of college football and of competition. Yeah. I like that. And I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, all of the different behind the scenes things that you're doing on game day and, um, and how you, what you do to get to that point. Um, really not just that day, but all week getting to that point. And, um, it is, it's, it's all consuming, it, but in a good way, it's also kind of a rush, like, okay, we we're ready. Let's show off. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, kind of like test day on a very, very different scale, <laughs> you know, and then, so they're, they're ready and you've prepared them. And so, 
I think that's great. Well, I have I have one more last game that I like to play. I have a little game called um, Fast Five, and um, I'm just going to ask you five questions real quick. Just tell me your first instinct, what first thing that comes to mind. Um, they don't like, have to. This is like Fast Money and Family Feud. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Right, so it's like you're, it's Except like you're you can Harvey. expand. There's not a clock okay, running. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like your Steve Harvey imitation. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's right. Okay. All right. So, um, and, and some of them are just general questions. Some, you know, uh. About the game. So let's start with an easy one. What is your favorite sports movie? Uh, Field <laughs> of Dreams, because I like having I like playing catch with my dad. Yeah. Rudy, because I grew up cheering for Notre Dame football. But I think I think Days of Thunder, don't they end with like running across the finish line because the cars broke down or something? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like any of those, like, whoa, those feel feel good moments in the yes. end. So I, mean, oh, I feel the dreams and Rudy, yeah. When Rudy makes that tackle at the end, if they if anybody's watching that and they have a dry eye, I don't know where yeah. their heart is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's, that's pretty awesome. Okay. How do you feel about replay? Help or hinder the game? I think it helps. I think it helps. You know, I think that they've in our game, they've controlled what's replayable. And in our stadiums, they're so old that the replay depends upon if you have a good camera angle or not. You know what I mean? It's so funny. You're trying to put, you know, build cameras to Harvard Stadium or Sholkoff Field. These things are ancient. You know what I mean? So you're trying to, you know, so it, it's been a, a positive effect, I think, in our league. All right. Good. All right. Uh, the third question is, do you have a favorite uh, tailgate food? But I I don't know. Do you ever even get the chance to tailgate? No. no not, at all. <laughs> not Not for but, your games, but, obviously. No, no but probably – my mom makes this incredible chicken wing dip. Uh, and so she'll bring that out like on my birthday or holidays or when we get together at the, at the Jersey Shore in the summertime. So that's definitely a tailgate style food. 100% my favorite, my mother's chicken wing dip. All right. Very good. All right. The next question is, um, we're, we're it's similar to the replay. You're, you want to talk to an official you may not have agreed with the call. What is your best technique to get an official's attention and to have that conversation? know their name so what i do is i study who is officiating the game who's the headlinesman who's the lines judge who's the back judge who's the side judge who's the umpire who's the referee and i know their first name because it's like hey raf hey ump uh -uh. like hey steve okay and then uh i'm gonna ask the question of what they saw and i actually attended an officials conference a couple years ago and that was big time because then I learned what they were trained to watch, right? And so then I I knew if I'm yelling at the, the headlinesman about PI, his eyes aren't even there, right? And so knowing what they're looking at, treating them like human beings, actually probably thanking them before the game for even being there, because without them, there can't be any life lessons and this glorification of like, you know, getting after the refs is just disgusting. You know what I mean? And so I think the best way is like, hey, Steve, how close was that to holding? Hmm. I thought it was holding Steve. Did you, how close was, how close were you to making that call? Right. And he may say, not at all. You know what I mean? I've had that, I've had that, like, not, not like, no, like not, you know, right. Or, or, or that, like if, if he held on one more second coach, you know, like that type, that type of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. So last question. Uh, do you have um, any special mentors that you go to on occasion for guidance? A couple of years ago, my dad and my sister and myself wrote this thing called the life positioning system. 
And one of the steps was like, create your own board of directors. And so I don't necessarily have like one mentor, but probably throughout my life, you know, a lot of different board of directors, you know, uh, my dad, uh, for sure. My old boss, Andy, uh, uh, I've had some really close, uh, you know, friends um, that have that have helped me out. Uh, they're a little bit, you know, older in the workforce. Um, so the the answer to that is for sure, you know. And I think that you got to keep collecting different people on your board of directors as your life continues to grow and your roles continue to grow. Yeah, I like that. Um, that I like I love the concept of having a board of directors for your life. That's really good. Yep. Um, is there, is there anything you'd change about the game of college football? If you could. I mean, what do we have a season long podcast? I mean, that's like, <laughs> that is so much happening there. Right. I mean, there's so much, even watch the Netflix special uh, that just released on Johnny Menzel. And it's like, like, wow. Like everybody else was making money right. off of Menzel, not him, but everybody else, you know? And so, Holy gosh, they, there has to be something um, for the players. There has to be. Um, and then, you know, with that being said, I'm in my own little bubble of the Ivy League. And so I think without being able to comment or, or knowing enough about name, image, likeness, conference re restructuring, all that, I think I'll just say in general, I think how we treat the officials should change from the coaches to the fans. Who are, like We need to show reverence and respect to the game. And doing that to the guys that are, you know, officiating the game. Because without them, what are we going to do? Right. How are we going to play? Right. Right. Imagine, imagine ABC game of the week, Labor Day weekend. You turn it on, and nobody's officiating. So, like, the least we, we talk about, like, you know, uh, how to talk to somebody who has a different perspective than you. That guy just made a call that hurts your team. We, we have different perspectives, but still being able to be respectful and civil. Yeah. Well, I, I snuck that one in. That was actually question number six. Oh. <laughs> so it was more like a swift six instead. Wow, of okay. Song. All right. There we go. Good. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, I, Coach Archer, I know you've got a lot on your plate. Um, I want to wish you the best of luck with your team this season. And and I, I really appreciate your time and, and spending this moment with us to kind of help, again, get, get your perspective from a coach's point of view. This was awesome. I'm so happy. Dad, thanks for making the introduction. And this was great. I appreciate you having me on. All right. All right. Well, the coach David Archer, Cornell University head football coach. We're going to move into our post-game talk. And now for our post-game talk, sponsored by Story Construction. Go to storee.com for more information. And in our post-game talk, we talked about some different intangibles. We talked a little bit about resilience. We talked about being coachable. We talked about being your authentic self. Can you reflect on what those mean in your life? Are there areas in your life that you need to be more resilient? Are there areas in your life that you need to be more coachable? And isn't it always a good idea to reflect and see, are we being our most authentic self personally and professionally? These are some of the goals that you can strive for each and every day. Resiliency, coachability, and of course, being your authentic self that's how champions do it and i'm going to remind you as i do each and every week be a good human and live your life like a champion live like a human champion this is jenny hopkins and this has been a coach's perspective <laughs>